Hi, this is What You Say in English, Season 3, Episode 7. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of What You Say in English, the podcast in which I listen to you and give you my professional feedback. This is another week. This is episode seven, people. And I'm very happy to announce that I just got word from Anchor. Anchor is the platform where I upload all my episodes. And I got the wrapped for this year, for 2022. And it's wonderful news because the listenership of my podcast has increased more than 100%. Up. Oof, I can't tell you how much it's grown. I will put a link in the description, but it's incredible because in the last two weeks, my listenership in India has gone to the roof and it's become the number one country listening to my podcast. I guess I have to tailor more episodes to those people in India. I know that one of the biggest exams in India is the IELTS exam, and I haven't done enough episodes on, on the exam and I promise you guys that I am here for you and I'm, I will try to produce more episodes on the IELTS exam. The thing is that here in Spain and for this part of the world, at least in Europe, the Cambridge exams have become increasingly more important and they're more like qualifications. Remember that the difference, the main difference between the IELTS exam and the Cambridge exams is that the Cambridge exams are qualifications. What does that mean? A qualification is a certificate that you get in order to acknowledge and recognize a level. In the case of the IELTS exam, it's basically a multi-level exam. You don't pass, you don't fail, you just get a band score that will be accepted or not depending on the place, the stakeholder the institution or the university or the government that will require you to take the exam. So in, in terms of exam purposes, people don't fail. And that means that you will have to take the exam every two years because the, the scores will be valid only for two years. In the case of the Cambridge exams, they don't expire. But of course, you have to keep in mind that the longer you spend without practicing English, the less valid, it's pretty much like, for example, when you study at the university and you get a degree in, let's say, medicine. And what happens, for example, if you don't practice medicine for more than 10 years? You basically get rusty. You start forgetting a lot of things. And of course, your expertise as a doctor will not be as good or as accurate as another doctor that has been practicing that has been working as a doctor for those 10 years. Of course, it makes sense. But in theory, qualifications like the Cambridge exams don't expire. So to all my people in India, I am listening to you. I will prepare more episodes. Actually, I have scheduled an IELTS mock exam with a student of mine. Well, it's a student of the Ben's, uh, Ben Gill's TTP Academy and... He's a great guy and has been preparing for the IELTS for a long time. And now about today's episode, remember that I told you that in the beginning of this season that I was going to start giving help on other parts of the exam, not only the speaking. I think that after two years of doing this podcast, 
after two seasons, I think I've given enough advice on how to improve on speaking skills, and I think I feel that I can expand and I can give advice on other parts of the exam. So today's episode will be devoted to a task which is exclusively found in the C1 advanced exam, and it's part six of the reading and use of English. A lot of people hate it because it's a task that requires a lot of reading. It's only four questions, but it requires a lot of reading. It's the cross-text multiple matching. You have to read four texts giving very specific opinions about one topic, so they have that one topic in common, and you have to compare and contrast different opinions. So basically, this, this is the skill that is being tested. And the material that I'm using for today is not in any book. I actually prepared it myself. And this is something that I do on the side. I sometimes prepare my own exam tasks. But you have to bear in mind that my tasks are basically designed to teach. They're not really designed to test. They're basically designed, I make them with an idea in mind, which is teaching. And of course, the level of language, specifically in the one that I'm going to use today, the level of language is actually quite advanced, and I'm going to be using it not only to teach the exam skills required to understand cross-text multiple matching, but also to teach a lot of vocabulary that can be very useful when you have to write reviews for films. And it has a lot of wonderful collocations. I got the, the text from real reviews. Of course, I have adapted some of the text to fit the task. That means that you will probably find, I mean, the, the name of the people, the reviewers are real names. I'm using their real names. I'm using real published, posted online reviews, but I have made adaptations, of course, to fit the kind of exercise that you need to do. And, and of course, and this is for the people, the real writers, the real authors of the reviews. I mean, of course, I've changed some of the wording. I've changed some of the opinions because I needed to fit it in the task. Remember that you will have to find similar and contrasting opinions. And of course, the film that they're reviewing is The Whale by Darren Aronofsky. I don't know if it's been premiered in your country. Here in Spain, I think it hasn't been premiered yet. I'm not sure. I have to check it. But it's a great film. Actually, Darren Aronofsky is one of my favorite directors. He has this incredible capacity to make people feel uncomfortable. And he is an environmentalist. He's also advocated to help people understand and be more conscious, more aware of climate change and, and the environment. His, one of his latest films, Mother, it's with Jennifer Lawrence and Javier Bardem. And it's a great film. So make sure you download all the extra material that I have posted in the episode description. The PDFs and the answers and everything. The, the way I will go in today's episode is like this. First, I will play some recordings, people reading. Well, actually, it's a computer-generated voices reading the four texts, the four extracts. And, of course, that will help you concentrate more on the reading. You will get a little of pronunciation and, and how to... Because there's a lot of vocabulary, great vocabulary that it's, it's going to be good for you and you're going to be able to listen to the pronunciation. And after that, you will have to do the task so I will go little by little, step by step, guiding you through on how to discover where the answers are. And finally, I will go over 
and this is by the final segment of today's episode. I will go over the vocabulary. I will explain it, what's appropriate, for example, what is good for formal registers or for informal registers, and so that I can help you build up your vocabulary a lot better, especially when you have to write or speak about films, write reviews about films. Okay, so stay tuned. Just after the break, I will start with the recordings and the readings. Okay, so now I'll start playing the recordings of the four extracts and make sure you have the PDF with you. Download it or if you have it on a screen, on a tablet, make sure you have it with you, next to you. Okay, so let's take a listen. I'm Trisha Gilbride from We Got This Covered. Darren Aronofsky's The Whale centers around a laudable performance from Brendan Fraser. And while the director is at home with the film's apocalyptic themes, by demonstrating his comeback is well-deserved, the family drama feels contrived, encompassing the walls of the apartment where the action takes place. There has been some controversy over the decision to cast Fraser and put the actor in a fat suit. Aronofsky's reasoning was that he tried to cast a bigger actor, but couldn't find one good enough, which isn't good enough. When Charlie's, Fraser, relationship with his body is directly addressed, it is treated as something he is doing to people, which could have been effective, but in this movie it just isn't. The whale feels too much like it was adapted from a play, which is meritorious for Aronofsky. Not expanding the scope of the production beyond the single location, to make it more cinematic, was not probably the best creative decision, but it did allow Aronofsky to take advantage of the medium, to capture Fraser's facial expressions, which do more to tell Charlie's story than the dialogue. Admittedly, the film's exposition errs on the side of heavy-handedness, and here, it's evident that more care was to be taken adapting the work for the screen, where there's more room to be subtle when showing, not telling. This is Luke Campbell, from Hey You Guys. A new film from acclaimed director Darren Aronofsky will pique the interest of many cinema-goers, but the headlines surrounding The Whale belong to Brendan Fraser's transformative performance. Masterfully playing the chamber piece trope, it's no wonder that the film's success doesn't only rely on the role that the protagonist's abode plays, but also on committed performances. Under layers of yet another failed attempt to convince audiences with prosthetics and makeup, Fraser is truly a force to be reckoned with. Charlie, Fraser, is an innately optimistic, generous man, who sees the best in humanity, despite all the grief and hardships he has faced. Fraser captures this kindness wrapped up in pain, trauma and regret with such gut-wrenching sincerity and aplomb. The parallels between Fraser and Charlie's lives adds a further layer of poignancy and intensifies the film's hefty emotional impact. Like much of Aronofsky's back catalogue, The Whale explores themes of death, religion, addiction, grief and a desperate longing for love. It can, at times, feel unrelentingly grim and melodramatic, but it's also Aronofsky's most humanistic and hopeful film. His intelligent, more restrained direction, makes the most of the claustrophobic setting, and places emphasis on the captivating actors. Samuel D. Hunter's script is on par with the intensity of the performances that theatre-goers must have felt when the original play was first released. I'm Christopher Reed, from Film Festival Today. Despite the general acceptance received by The Whale, the new film from Darren Aronofsky, one thing is certain, it is a serious case of virtue signalling. As much as Brendan Fraser gives it his all, the issues concerning his weight accentuate an already lukewarm rendition. 
Written by Samuel D. Hunter, who based it on his own eponymous play, the film hits the jackpot when compared to its source and stays away from a more open-world cinematic experience, making it a bit claustrophobic, a case in point of how Aronofsky achieves his trademark style of making cinemagoers feel suffocated at times. Just as the filmmakers no doubt have sympathy for Charlie as a protagonist, the way they present his body is downright scandalous but rightfully accurate. Perhaps those influences of today's social networks, who revel in fat-shaming others, need to leave whatever rarefied circles they inhabit, to go out into the world and experience human beings in all their glorious shapes and dimensions. The way I see it, though we are living in 2022, humans can be a cruel species to whom the sight of a very plus-sized person would elicit true horror. In any case, the producers of The Whale want to have their movie cake and eat it too, simultaneously milking the audience pity, and stoking the voyeuristic repulsion. For better or worse, the more is said about the tired, self-hating fat trauma trope, the better. Ryan Leston here, from IGN Movies. As a person who's always baffled with overweight, The Whale, a story about a morbidly obese man, had potential to be a deeply personal film for me. Writing about it, even more so, what I wasn't expecting was just how personal. That's why Fraser's performance hits home. Giving up on yourself, the look of guilt when reaching for another chocolate bar, the anger, and rage, and self-destruction on Charlie's, Fraser, face when he gorges himself on another binge. For me, it's one of the most authentic performances I've ever seen on film. The complexity of Charlie is a testament to the incredible script by Samuel D. Hunter, who also wrote the play on which the film is based. It's deftly handled by both Aronofsky and Fraser, with a subtlety and grace you would expect from film that looks more like a play. And that's exactly the point. There's been some heated debate over the decision to put Fraser in a bodysuit. But by exaggerating Charlie's proportions, Aronofsky hits us even harder with an important truth. Charlie is as human as the rest of us. Charlie's physical appearance is designed to shock, with some astonishing makeup and prosthetics used to bring Fraser up to that 600 pounds body mass. There's an element of sensationalism when you're faced with Charlie's body. By exaggerating Charlie to grotesque proportions, it hits even harder when we begin to uncover the anguish that pushed him there. I just hope you liked the voices because they were computer generated. And I know that sometimes they can sound a little weird, but I think they did the job just well. And right now, what I want you to do is that you stop the recording. You can stop the podcast, the episode now, and you can do the reading. You can do the task yourself. It can probably take you between 10 and 15 minutes if you're a quick reader and up to 20 minutes. I know that taking 20 minutes is too much, but remember, this is a, a task designed to teach, not to test. If you can do it within that time, fine, but don't worry if it takes you longer, especially if, you, if it's the first time that you're doing this task. Okay, so take your time, do the task, answer the questions, and in the next part, I will guide you through on how to discover the answers. Okay, so I'm hoping that you've done the task and you're ready to check the answers. Normally, the strategy that I recommend is that you have a quick reading to the text. You know, you do a little bit of skimming and not really scanning. So you can have a general understanding of the task. You know what the text is about. 
you can actually read the four extracts. I mean, they're not really that long. And you can start thinking about what they have in common and what ideas are the same or different, because that can help you get a better understanding of the task itself. Okay. So if you look at the questions, you have four questions and you have three types of questions. You have one type that is, according to the reviews, who agrees with a letter, either A, B, C, or D on something. So then you will have the stem of what you have to look for. You have to scan in the text. So this is the first type of question agrees with a letter on something. Another type of question is the opposite case has a different view, a different opinion from a letter on something. And then you have the third type of question, which one has a different view from the others, from the rest about something. Normally I recommend students to leave those questions to the end. You can focus first on the ones that have a letter. For example, in this case, in the particular exercise that you downloaded, questions one and three are those questions that you can start doing first. It doesn't matter. You have, you don't have to do them in order. And why am I recommending, for example, going to the questions with a letter? Because it's easier. It tells you where to start. So you start with that letter, you find the opinion. And the whole point of this exercise is that you can identify positive and negative opinions. When you read, let's say, for example, you look at number one, it says, according to the reviews, who agrees with A on how the physical aspect of the main character was addressed in the film? You have to go to text A and find that opinion. You underline it. Uh, you, you should have downloaded the answer, the PDF with the answers, the annotated PDF. I have used, if you've noticed, four different colors. I've highlighted the questions with four different colors. I think it's a lot easier to identify the questions in the text, the answers with different colors. I think it will help you visually. It will help you see the difference on, on the different questions. And also because in my case, I am the kind of person that likes to separate things. I like using colors. Remember that in the exam, the day of the exam, you are allowed to have a pencil case. In that pencil case, you can have a pencil, a pen. It has to be a blue pen or a black pen, no red or any color. So you cannot use, and on no erasable pens, by the way. If you remember, I did an episode, I think it was on season two, I talked about the exam day and I, I talked about all the different restrictions that you have. So if you haven't listened to that episode, you can go back and check it out. So in this case, you can have four different colors. And if you're the kind of person that likes to use those colors, go ahead and do it. I think, well, of course it looks beautiful. It looks nice, very organized, but you are allowed in the exam to use different colors, highlighters, and that can help you. If, you, if that helps you focus more on the task, so be it. So I'm starting with number one. It says, agrees with A on how the physical aspect of the main character was addressed in the film. So I go to text A, and when I read the text, if you go to the middle, you will find the answer to that question. It says, when Charlie's Fraser relationship with his body is directly addressed, it is treated as something he's doing to people, which could have been affected, but in this movie, it just isn't. So the opinion in, in this case is quite negative. 
Tricia Gilbride from text A, extract A, she's not very convinced about the idea, the fact in this film, the physical appearance was not treated as it should have been treated. It doesn't really work in this film. So it's a kind of negative opinion. Now, when you start looking at B, and this is, you have to go one by one and start comparing what happens, for example, if you find that B has the same opinion. In this case, it would be your answer. That would be straight your answer. It would be that. But if you find a different opinion, if you read B and you find that it has a different opinion, then you will have to continue reading, of course. Now, if you look at B, it says, I think it's the fourth line of the text you have downloaded. It says, under layers of yet another failed attempt to convince audiences with prosthetics and makeup. In this case, it's a little more hidden that the idea of how the physical appearance was dealt with in the case of the film, but you can see that Luke Channel, the person who wrote uh, Extract B from Hey You Guys, had a negative opinion as well. So this might be your answer. Just in case you read letter C, Christopher L. Reed, and you can see that in the middle it says, just as the filmmakers no doubt have sympathy for Charlie's as a protagonist, the way they present his body is down, downright scandalous, but rightfully accurate. So he does acknowledge that it's scandalous, but that doesn't mean that he has that opinion. He says that that's scandalous, being scandalous is downright accurate. It's rightfully accurate because that's the way it should be portrayed. And he has a more positive opinion. It's a kind of neutral, but more positive opinion about Brandon Fraser's performance and the way his body was addressed. And when you read D, it's almost by the end. I think it's the fifth line. If you start from the bottom, it says, but by exaggerating Charlie's proportions, Aronofsky hits us even harder with an important truth. So this is a positive opinion. It says, Charlie is as human as the rest of us. Charlie's physical appearance is designed to shock with some astonishing makeup and prosthetics used to bring Fraser up to that 600 pounds body mass. So it's, you can see that it's a positive opinion. So in conclusion, and this is the way you have to look at it, a negative, B negative, so obviously B is your answer. C is rather positive and D is rather positive. So the only one that agrees with A on the physical aspect is B. So one is B. Now you repeat the same process with number three. I told you to go for the ones that have a letter first, and then you would leave the other type of question for the last. So let's go with number three. Number three is, according to the reviews, who has a different opinion from B on the way the location is dealt with in the film? So we go to B first. I have highlighted that answer in blue. So you would go to B first and it says the second line. By the end of the second line, it says masterfully playing the chamber piece trope. It's no wonder that the film's success doesn't only rely on the role that the protagonist abode, abode means home, plays, but also on committed performances. So obviously the person has, Luke can, uh, Channel, has a positive opinion about the location in the film. So obviously 
you're looking for a different opinion. So you're looking for someone who has the opposite opinion, which, you know, in this case is, it has to be negative. The, in the case, in this case, B says that it's a masterful a way of representing the location. So we go to A. In A, we find that it's, the opinion is divided. In the fourth line, it says, encompassing the walls of the apartment where the action takes place. So this is the reference. And then later, we find the section that says, not expanding the scope of the production beyond the single location to make it more cinematic was not probably the best creative decision. So, in a way, you can feel that this is a negative opinion, so it might be your answer. But when we go to C, it says, it's in the fourth line, and it says, stays away from a more open-world cinematic experience, making it a bit claustrophobic, a case in point of how Aronofsky achieves his trademark style of making cinema goers feel suffocated at times. This is a little bit, I would say, neutral. But you could sense that by saying, for example, his trademark style, I think that's a positive way of referring to someone's style. I think it's the, the reviewers acknowledging capacity that, that Darren Aronofsky, the director, has. And I think it's, it's I, I have a sense that it's a positive thing to say about how the, the location was dealt with. So, so far, you would be, you would say that the one that, because B and C kind of have the same vibe. I mean, B is rather positive. C is rather positive as well. So obviously A would be your answer. But just in case, if we look at D, I'm afraid there's nothing on the location. Obviously the, the person, Ryan Leston, focused more on the physical appearance and the performance, and there's very little, actually there's nothing in reference to the location. So obviously, and this, this can happen in this reading, that you will find, for example, an extract that does not have information about a certain question. So in this case, obviously the answer is A. So the way the location was dealt with in the film, obviously the one that differs from B is A. Now we can go and address the third type of question, which is, has a different view from the others. And we go to number two. Number two says, according to the reviews, who has a different view from the rest on the way the story was adapted for the film? If you read the four extracts, of, of course, if you followed the, the listening, you would notice that definitely all of the authors, all, all, all of the reviewers had something to say about this, the adaptation of the story. So in this case, we just go one by one. So we start with A. I have highlighted that in green. So you would see that the opinion is actually divided into several parts. The first part, the, the reviewer says that the family drama feels contrived. Contrived is like, overcomplicated and well, unnecessarily complicated. So the family drama feels contrived. Then in the middle, it says, the whale feels too much like it was adapted from a play, which is meritorious for Aronofsky. Then by the end, the 
the last three lines, it says, admittedly, the film's exposition errs, errs is make a makes a mistake, on the side of heavy-handedness, like being too strong going overboard. And here, it's evident that more care was to be taken adapting the work for the screen. So this is the, the answer, saying that it was not really carefully adapted, where there's more room to be subtle when showing, not telling. So obviously A has kind of a negative opinion, and it, start with, it starts with that idea of the drama feeling contrived. Now when we look at B, the opinion is at the end. It says Samuel D. Hunter's script is on par, on par means at the same level, with the intensity of the performances that theater goers must have felt when the original play was first released. So obviously, B is giving all the wonderful ideas, you know, it's, it's praising how the, the film was beautifully adapted. So obviously, A and B have a different opinion. Now, this is interesting because when you read A and you read B and you see that they have different opinions, obviously, the answer must be either A or B. When you read C, that's when you know which one, if it's either A or B, because if C agrees with B, then A is your answer. But if C agrees with A, then B is your answer. I don't know if it makes sense, but when you read extra by extract, you have to start, and you can actually draw a plus symbol or a minus symbol next to the opinions just to have a, a quicker reference uh, to identify uh, similar and contrasting opinions. So if we go to letter C, we know that in the fourth line, it says the film hits the jackpot when compared to its source. Hitting the jackpot means like to nail it, to really uh, get what you were trying to look for. You know, you achieve your, you achieve your aim, you, you, you do it. So in this case, it's something very positive. So B is positive. B's opinion is positive. C, in, in the case of C, it's also positive. So that tells you the answer is A. Just in case we read D, and in the middle, we find uh, this piece of text. It says, the complexity of Charlie is a, is a testament to the incredible script by Samuel D. Hunter, who also wrote the play on which the film is based. It's deftly handled by both Aronofsky and Fraser with a subtlety and grace. These are positive things to say. You would expect from a film that looks more like a play. And that's exactly the point. Obviously, D gushes over the, you know, to gush over is to like, you know, say wonderful things and praise uh, something. So, Obviously, D, C, and B agree. A is the only one that has a different opinion from the rest. Obviously, it's a negative opinion. Now, if we look at the last question, according to the reviews, who differs from all the others on how the main character is portrayed, we start, of course, we start from the beginning. And in the beginning, we have, I colored that one in, well, it's kind of a light purple color or like a dark pink color or fuchsia. You might want to call it like that. So 
in when we look at A, it's in the very beginning. It says Darren Aronofsky's The Whale centers around a laudable performance from Brandon Fraser. So laudable performance is to praise something. It's laudable means good. So we put a plus sign next to that opinion. So what we have to look for is a different opinion. So again, we read B and if B agrees, if B gives a positive opinion, then it's not A, it's not B, your answer. Okay, it should be C or D. So let's look at B. It says the opinion is in the second line. It says, but the headline surrounding the whale belonged to Brendan Fraser's transformative performance. And then later, like three lines after that, we find Fraser is truly a force to be reckoned with, which is something to, something good that you can say about Fraser's performance. Then in the following line, it says, Fraser captures this kindness wrapped up in pain, trauma, and regret with such gut-wrenching sincerity and aplomb. Obviously, uh, this uh, reviewer is giving a wonderful opinion about Brandon Fraser's performance. So we can see that A and B agree. So it neither A or B can be the answer. When we look at C, this second line, you can read, it is a serious case of virtue signaling. Virtue signaling is something that, and this, I'm, I'm, I know that I'm going over vocabulary here. I, I will go over the great vocabulary for film reviews uh, in the next segment. But virtue signaling is something that happens quite a lot in media and also, well, social media. It's when you try to pose or that you try to let people know that you care about a topic, but in reality, you just do it because you want to be recognized or you, you just do it for the likes. You do it because you want to get more exposure. It's like faking, basically faking that you care about a, a situation, but you don't really mean it. It means that you're just, um, putting like a, a screen in front of you and, and showing people that you care about something, but in reality, you don't care. You just do it for the likes, you just do it for the exposure or just you, you know, to get people to talk and say good things about you when in reality it's not. So that's virtue signaling. So that's a negative thing to say. Obviously from the, from this point, I took, take a look at C and say, Hmm, I think this is the answer. But if you continue reading, it says as much as Brendan Fraser gives it his all, the issues concerning his weight accentuate an already lukewarm rendition. So in this case, lukewarm means like soft, bland, like not really interesting. And rendition is just a synonym uh, of acting. So the acting, the performance was not really convincing. So obviously C would be your answer. But just in case we read D and in D, it's very easy. The third line says, that's why Fraser's performance hits home. When something hits home, it's like it gets you deep down inside. And home is like your convictions, your beliefs. It's you as a person. So when something hits home, it's like it really gets you and it really moves your heart. So this is something very positive. So you can see that A, B, and D share the same opinion. Then in two lines uh, below, you can read for me, it's one of the most authentic performances I've ever seen on film. So yeah, obviously 
It's a positive thing to say. So you can see that the last one is letter C. Number four, question number four is letter C. That's the only one that thinks that the performance was lukewarm. This is basically how you do it. I know that I walked you through in a quick way, but this is the way you do it. And it has to take you some time. The more you do these exercises, the better you become. And of course, the more effective your reading skills will, you know, will be. Remember that it's all about finding similar and different opinions, positive and negative opinions about something. And yeah, knowing about vocabulary. You have to know, for example, in the last one, that lukewarm in, in extract C, lukewarm is something that is not really convincing, something that is not really good. Okay. So stay tuned in the next part, final part. I will go over all the wonderful uh, vocabulary that you can learn for reviews. Okay, so now that we have talked about all the exercises with the cross-text multiple matching, now let's talk about vocabulary. In the first text by Tricia Gilbride, the first expression that we find is laudable performance. So laudable has to do with appreciating what everybody can do. So laudable means that you can stand up and applaud someone's performance. It's like you congratulate someone for doing something great. So laudable is a very positive thing to say. The next one is the director is at home with the film's apocalyptic themes. So when you are at home is that you feel comfortable when doing something. You're in your element. So that means that you feel very good, you feel comfortable, you feel nice, and you can do whatever you want with the themes. In this case, it's talking about the apocalyptic themes. Now, if you've watched films by Aronofsky before, you will notice that he does like, he has a sense, a great sense of how to approach these kind of themes. Now, the following expression is to feel contrived, where it says the family drama feels contrived. Now, contrived is a word, it's a negative word, of course, and it has to do with something overly complicated, like it's too much it's very complicated, complex, sometimes unnecessarily complicated. So when you say that the, the plot feels contrived or the story feels contrived, then you can say that it's very complicated to the point in which it's not really necessary. Then we have the following line. We have the walls of the apartment where the action takes place. Now, this is a very simple expression. Where the action takes place, you can actually use it with any kind of location in a film or in a film or in a, in a review of a, of a TV show or even of a book. Like if you're reviewing a novel, it's, you know, where the action takes place. So the action takes place in the setting. Of course, you can talk about a city. You can talk about, in this case, it's a, it's a house. The following expression from this review is when it talks about the relationship that uh, Charlie's uh, character, uh, Brendan Fraser's character, uh, has with his body is, you know, where, where it's directly assessed. It is treated as something he's doing to people, which could have been effective 
But in this movie, it just isn't. So you can explain that something could have been effective, but in this film or in this movie or in this book, it just isn't. So you can treat it as a fixed phrase or a fixed expression that you can talk about something that had the potential to be something good, but in this film, it just doesn't work out. Or in this movie, it just isn't. And it's a very good example of ellipsis, because remember that when we do ellipsis is when we cut the word because we know what's coming after that. Right after that, we have the expression, the whale feels too much like it was adapted from a play. So that expression is really good. Feels too much like it was. It's very informal. Be careful on how to use it. It's quite informal because it feels much, much like it was. So that like would be a little bit informal. If you want to keep it a little more formal, then you should use as if it was. As if it was. So feels too much as if it was. Or as if it were, which is the, uh, you would say, the standard subjunctive in, in the conditional forms, of course. But feels too much like it was would be a kind of informal way of, a, of using vocabulary. In this case, like it was adapted from a play. In, uh, of course, it's kind of a negative thing to say. If you say that, for example, that you feel something feels too much like it was adapted from a play, it's like you're, you're not very happy with the result. Like you would have expected the film to, to be a little more cinematic. So this is, uh, this is part of the language for films. When you say that it has a cinematic experience, you talk about epic films. You, you talk about places, uh, sorry, films with different locations, uh, with different resources. You feel like it's, you know, movie making at its best. The following expression that we find in the first review is, uh, it says, to make it more cinematic was not probably the best creative decision. So we have the, the expression, the best creative decision. And you can use it in either way. You can, um, for example, if you're not very happy with something, you can say that it was not the best creative de decision, or you can say that this was the best creative decision from the film. Um, it's basically you're judging that, let's say, the photography, you're judging the cinematography, or you're judging the story. You know, you have lots of things to judge from here. From this, you can say that it's the best creative decision. The following one is Aronofsky takes advantage of the medium to capture something. So to take advantage of the medium to capture something. So the medium is, in this case, is film. We can talk about media with an A. Media, remember that media is plural. So media is the, the plural of medium. In this case, when you talk about the medium is we're talking about film, visual medium, the visual medium. So you have the book, which is, you know, uh, another type of medium. You, when you talk about graphic novels, it's another type of medium. If you talk about, uh, let's say, comic books, well, comic books and graphic novels are pretty much the same. The only difference is that comic books are usually serialized and graphic novels, they're just a one-off. It's just one story with beginning and end in one edition. In the following line, we have the film's exposition errs on the side of heavy handedness. This is a, a, a phrase that you can actually use in any 
you know, situation. You can actually use it. It could be like a stock phrase that you can use with any kind of film. The film's exposition. Now, exposition in terms of filming, it's when the director decides to explain to the audience something necessary for the plot to continue to advance. And it's something that many directors have a different approach. When you talk about, for example, let's say Christopher Nolan, many people criticize about him that he goes over exposition too much. Exposition is like explaining something to the audience so that the plot makes sense. Uh, for example, in the movie Tenet, a lot of people criticized that there was too much exposition. You know, when the, the scientist is explaining to the protagonist the way entropy works, you know, like if you haven't seen the film, probably you don't know what I'm talking about. But basically, just keep it in mind that exposition is everything, is a resource, is a storytelling resource in which you explain to the audience what is going on. Or you can explain the logic of the film so you can continue enjoying the film. You can continue, you know, understanding what you have to do, or how you have to understand the film. We talk about the exposition. So too much exposition can actually ruin the film. In this case, the film's exposition errs on the side of heavy-handedness means that it's too much. Like, you really went too far with the film's exposition. And then later in the same line, we have more care was to be taken, adapting the work for the screen. So more care was to be taken adapting the work for the screen. It means that the, the director needed to pay attention to this before doing something else. So this, for example, you can use it to criticize not only the story, but you can also criticize the special effects or any other aspect of the film in which you think that, for example, the director or the producer or anybody else needed to be more careful with. So more care was to be taken doing something. In this case, it's adapting the work for the screen. In the second review, we have quite a few expressions. The first one is in the first line where it says, will pique the interest of many cinema goers. So pique the interest. It's a very good collocation, which means to catch somebody's attention. Then we have the collocation transformative performance, which is there is something positive to say as a changing performance, life-changing performance. Then we have masterfully playing the chamber piece trope. Now, there's a little bit to unpack here. Of course, masterfully means something good, positive, as a master, as, a, as an expert in something. Playing the chamber piece trope. Now, chamber piece is a type of film in which Especially the films that have been adapted from plays, from a theatrical play. Chamber Piece is a type of film in which everything happens on a, everything happens in a single location. There are very few people interacting with each other. So it doesn't... Of course, it's the opposite of a cinematic experience. And trope, the word trope, is very similar to theme or motif. So a trope is a type of, let's say, standard story. In films or in storytelling in general, remember that in storytelling we cover films, novels, books, everything, when you, t when you have a story. So a trope is a kind of repetitive theme or motif that you have. For example, let's say the fight between good and evil, that's a trope. 
In comedy films, boy meets girl, that's a trope. Or the hero's journey is another trope in with, you know, the typical story of a hero that here the that receives a call of adventure and then they train and then they become experts and then they defeat the villain. That's a trope. So a trope is something that is like prefabricated, something already created, and then you work on that. So masterfully playing the chamber piece trope is, it means it's something very good to say about the director playing with a typical theme in a good way. So this is a very highly advanced collocation that you can use in any review that you write. Okay, so continuing with the review, it says the film's success doesn't only rely on basically when you want to talk about something good and, you know, you want to extend on something else, which is also good. We also have committed performances in the following line. Then when it talks about Brendan Fraser's performance, it says, it's truly a force to be reckoned with. This is something very positive to say about someone. Also, we have, when describing his performance, we have in two lines just below that, we have gut-wrenching, sincerity, and aplomb. Gut-wrenching means that it really moves you inside. It means that it takes your inner organs and, and crush them, so to speak. It's just hyperbolic way of speaking. But gut-wrenching means that it makes you feel emotional. Then we have to add a further layer of poignancy and intensifies the film's hefty emotional impact. So this is a very long phrase to say. You might want to memorize it, but poignancy is to be incisive or to when you take a stand on something and you want to be direct and straightforward to the audience and then you have this poignancy so the poignancy is how cleverly you address a topic without hiding anything and intensifies the film's hefty emotional impact so basically it's expressing again how emotional the impact of the film is then we have other simple collocations like explores the themes of, in this case, it's death, religion, addiction, grief, and a lot of other things. And another collocation from this review is it can at times feel unrelentingly grim and melodramatic. So this is something negative to say. Unrelentingly means that it doesn't give any rest. It doesn't relent. So relent is like to take, uh, to stop for a little while. So unrelentingly means that it doesn't have any stops. So grim and melodramatic, grim and melodramatic are just bad feelings, emotions that make you feel sad or make you feel disgust or any other kind of negative opinion. But then it, it is, it says something really good, which is the film is Aronofsky's most humanistic and hopeful film. So that's a nice thing to say about the film. Also, the last one is when it talks about Samuel D. Hunter's script. It says is on par, I already said that it was at the same level, with the intensity of the performances. The performances were really good and the script was on par. So on par means very the same level, basically. In the following review, in review C, we have other expressions. 
when it talks about Brendan Fraser, it says that Brendan Fraser gives it his all. When you give it your all, so you have to change the possessive here. Instead of his, you can use her, there. When you give your all, it means that you pour yourself and you put everything. But it, then it says that his performance was a lukewarm rendition. So rendition is just another way of saying performance. And lukewarm means, of, it comes from warm, but lukewarm is like a kind of bland. I think I already told you before in, in a previous segment in today's episode, but lukewarm means like bland, like not really interesting. Also, I already explained what the meaning is of hitting the jackpot. The film hits the jackpot. So it does something really good. It's like ding, 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 ding. You have that bell sound when you get the right answer. Also, we talk about that it's a cinematic experience. You talk about a trademark style of doing something. So a trademark style. You can identify probably directors that have a trademark style. So in the case of Aronofsky, is getting the audience to feel suffocated. That's a typical style. Also, we have directors like M. Night Shyamalan. If you remember The Sixth Sense, he also has a trademark style. You can talk about different movie directors having a, a trademark style. I would say that there's another director, and he has a, another visual trademark style. He's J.J. Abrams. J.J. Abrams has a trademark style when it comes to visual effects because his films always have flares. If you watch, for example, Star Trek, any of the latest Star Trek films, you would see that the lights in the background have this kind of spark, you know, like a glowing, the lights glow, forming like a line, like a streak horizontally in the film. So that we call that a flare. It's F-L-A-R-E, flare. And it's very typical. That's a trademark style. I mean, visually speaking. Then we have two more expressions. We have downright scandalous and rightfully accurate. Now, downright is an adjective meaning like spot on or very accurate, like really, really strong and on your face. Then we have the, the producers. It says the producers of the whale want to have their movie cake and eat it too. Now, to have your cake and eat it too is an idiom. It's a proverb. Basically, it's like you want to get everything. It's you do something and you still want to get the benefits and you want basically you want to get everything. And sometimes when you do something, you probably have to sacrifice something else. But it means that you can actually tell someone, but you want to have the cake and eat it too. It's, it means that when you do something, you probably have to sacrifice something, but you want to get all the benefits as well. And it, then it says milking the audience pity. Milking something, it means like squeezing and trying to get as much as possible from someone or something. Then in the final review by Ryan Leston, we begin with the second line. He says, a deeply personal film for me. So a deeply personal means that it feels as if the movie was written for you. So it's personal. In his case, he's, you can see that he, you can re actually read that he was battling with overweight. So he felt the movie was very personal for him. Then he says that Fraser's performance hits home. And I already explained it, but hits when something hits home, it's like it really affects you. It really gets you down in your heart. 
and it, you know, it, it feels like, wow, this is what I've been looking for. Then when he talks about Brendan's performance, is it's he says, one of the most authentic performances I've ever seen on film. That's great. Something wonderful to say about someone's performance. Then we read, just right after that, we read, the complexity of Charlie is a testament to the incredible script. So something can be a testament to something else. So you can say, let's say you talk about special effects. You could say, the special effects in the film are a testament to something else. Let's say to the incredible story or to the incredible, let's, I don't know. So you can think about other things you can compare with, like in this case, special effects. Then we have the expression. It's deftly handled by both Aronofsky and Fraser. When you talk about the adaptation, in this case, it's deftly handled by both Aronofsky and Fraser. It means that they handled it really, really well. Then we have, with a subtlety and grace you would expect from a film that looks more like a play. And this is exactly the point. Subtlety and grace. It's two nouns that you can use, for example, when you talk about the way the movie was directed. You can talk about that the, the director, the creator of the film, handled everything with a, with a subtlety and grace you would expect from blah, blah, blah. Okay? And, of course, we have another simple collocation. Uh, you know, the, I think it's the third line from the bottom. It says, with some astonishing makeup and prosthetics. In this case, it's talking about the makeup part of the film. And, the, and you know, like, he was put in a fat suit, Brandon Fraser. So, you can see that these... And you can probably uh, try, you know, get other expressions that you haven't seen before. And they're very highly effective and advanced expressions. I would say that when I created this exercise, I, it's of course it's advanced, but you can feel that most of the vocabulary is probably getting to a C2 level. So you can actually use this at C1 or even at C2. I mean, just uh, to practice reading skills. And believe it or not, I mean, I've always thought that Cambridge will probably adapt, like do a revision of the C2 exam and probably include something like this. I'm not saying that they will include a cross-text multiple matching just like this one, but I would say that probably they're thinking about, and this is something that that I have had in mind because it's more, it's been more than 10 years. The last revision that the C2 proficiency exam had was in 2013, and now it's almost 10 years that, you know, that so probably a revision is doing. And, and I would say that adding another exercise to another task to the reading and use of English, this would make a lot of sense. So this, you can take it as a C1 task, but with the flavor of a C2 proficiency task. Thank you very much for joining me in this episode. And I, as, as I said before, it's a different approach from what I've been doing recently. Well, since the beginning of the show, I'm focusing on other parts of the exam. Let me know if you liked it so I can produce more similar episodes to this one. It's basically an experiment and see, I know that listening to a podcast and you would, you would not want to do like exercises, but I think that it's a way of expanding what I already do. And of course, the kind of vocabulary that you learn here 
will benefit in other parts of the exam, especially the speaking part. Let me know, drop a line, send me an email and let me know if you liked it so I can do a little more of this. And it's a free, let's say, preparation for the exams. In this case, a C1, but it can also help you with a C2 exam. And also, I want to thank all the people from India once again for following my podcast. It's made me very happy. And I will try to, as I said before, I will try to produce more content when it comes to IELTS exam. I know that some people have written messages saying that they want to improve their band scores. I've heard you and I'll see what I can come up with so you can improve on your, not only your speaking skills, but also other skills, reading skills and writing skills as well. So thank you very much for joining me this week and until next week. Bye-bye.